You're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show is about helping you find your creative destiny. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with Creative Pep Talk and my creative work by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, AndyJPizza.com if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. All right, before we jump into the proper content for this episode, uh, I just want to give you some quick updates. Stay with me, man. Just stay, stick with me. This is all relevant to people that like this podcast. Uh, And if you don't like this podcast, quit listening to it. That's a weird thing to do to yourself. But, um, (laughs) uh, okay, I just want to say that, uh, first of all, I opened up my personal pep talks again, my MFBA class, it's an online class that I do um, to help people with their creative careers. Uh, this, this, the spring semester is over, and so I, uh, I get a lot of requests for something I used to do, which is this hour-long kind of creative career consulting that I used to do, but I had to take them down off the shop because I don't have time to do it when I'm doing my class because it takes up uh, all that kind of energy. And so for the summer, while I don't have a class, I decided to open those back up. So if you want to do an hour long creative career consulting, I'll look at your uh, work and talk through whatever kind of things that you're trying to get through. Um, Go to creativepeptalk.com slash shop and you will find it there. You can just order it through the shop and you can schedule it through there uh, once you bought it and then also you it'll give you a questionnaire to ask you some questions so I know the situation and I can think up some stuff before we get talking um, just as a heads up you know I've done with these I've done these um, with people all over the board people just getting started people well into their career um, just anybody that feels like they're stuck in some way they need an outside perspective uh, you know, I love doing that. And actually, for, for the longest time, I didn't do this because I was uncomfortable with the situation of, uh, of, of existing on this level and doing this um, just because it's kind of a bizarre thing that doesn't happen in the creative industry that much. But uh, I'm so obsessed with doing this uh, and I love it so much and I feel so passionate about it that I'm glad that I finally did it because I feel so at the center 
uh, what I'm supposed to be doing on this planet when I'm doing these things. I just actually got off one of those calls today and you can tell I'm very excited. So uh, <laughs> if that's interesting to you, go check it out. I just opened up some slots. They'll, they'll, it'll be a limited amount during the summer because I can only do so many of them and still do my illustration and the, and the podcast and all the other stuff. So anyway, I opened that up. Go check it out. Uh, second thing I want to say is that um, Creative Works Conference in Memphis has opened up tickets in, uh, for their conference in the fall. Um, it's an amazing time. They have early bird prices. Go to creativeworks.co um, right now to go get your ticket. We can hang out and eat barbecue stuff. and uh, Barbecue stuff. No, barbecue food. Not just stuff with barbecue on it or barbecued um, items. Anyway, go check that out. Creative Works is amazing. Uh, last thing I want to say, and we'll get to the content. At the end of this episode, uh, there's going to be an extra audio, some bonus material. It's an interview that I did with this website called Dumb Questions, where they ask what they call smart designers dumb questions. Um, and we recorded it. And uh, you can find all their interviews at dumbquestions.co. Uh, they've interviewed people like Sagmeister and my friend Darren Booth and uh, just all kinds of amazing people. Josh Higgins, who's, uh, I think, the one of the top creative directors at Facebook, super cool guy. Um, and uh, you can read all their, they ask these really ridiculous questions to designers and you can read those interviews at dumbquestions.co. At the end, you're gonna hear my answers and the conversation I had with them. It was a, uh, a blast uh, and it's awesome to be among such great peers in this project. So anyway, stay tuned for that after this episode, after the regular content. Thank you guys for listening, and let's jump into an episode that is a part of our Creative Destiny series that we're doing. It's an ongoing series. It's going to be like four to eight episodes in the same topic. Last week was the first episode of that, episode 137, um, but this stands alone. If this is a topic that you want to hear more about, we're going to talk about finding your gift um, in this episode. You can listen to this without listening to any of the other ones in the series, but if you want to dive deeper, go back to the last episode and stay tuned for the future ones. All right, let's get into it. So in this episode, we're going to dive super deep into this idea of finding your true creative gift. In the last episode, we talked about how finding your gift isn't a thing that you do uh, in a 30-minute afternoon career aptitude test on a Wednesday afternoon, that's not how you find out what your gift is. Your gift requires a large journey. It's a massive part of the journey to figure out what your gift is. And so in today's episode, I want to unpack what that journey looks like and how can you maximize your potential for finding your true creative gift. So that's what today's episode's about. I want to talk about it through the lens of superpowers because I think when you really find your gift, it is kind of like a creative superpower. And when you think about superheroes, you think about Superman, right? And I'm not proud of it. This is kind of a confession, if I'm honest. Uh, I'm not proud to say that I watched like 83 seasons of Smallville. And, uh, <laughs> and I, you know, if you worked on Smallville, you worked on t TV, and that's more than I'll probably ever do in my life, so I don't mean this as a nasty critique, but I don't think it was a good show. I, it, I didn't like it, really. I didn't, honestly, I watched all those seasons, but I didn't actually enjoy very much of it because it wasn't my thing, but I just kept watching because it's this massive tease of will he, won't he learn how to fly in this episode or in this season because we know Superman can fly, but Smallville is about Superman when he's in high school before he figured out that he could fly. And so the whole time you're watching this show, you're just like, you idiot, don't you know that you can freaking fly? Like, just fly, oh my gosh. And uh, I find myself all the time feeling exactly the same way about creative people that I work with, that I see so much raw potential in them that they don't see themselves 
all of this, all these gifts that they've yet to work out because it takes so much hard work and it's such a, it's such a journey uh, to get there and they don't often even believe in themselves and they don't even see it themselves. And so uh, in today's episode, I wanna talk to you and say, you idiot, you can fly. And you're just completely settling for so much less. You know, there's so many uh, folks out there that just play the part. They buy the cape, they buy the, they put the underpants on the outside of their uniform and they go hang out at the, you know, designer club. Uh, you know, they go to the, they work at the agency. They, they're a, they're part, they look the part. So, um, you know, they look like the superhero, but there's no gift or value underneath. And, uh, and if it's a designer or a, a creative person, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of the reverse of Superman where you actually put the thick rimmed glasses on to look the part. Uh, and, and you've got the glasses and you talk about kerning and Helvetica and, uh, you know, you listen to the right designer music and you know all the famous designers and you know what to say about them. Um, you know all the cues, you know how to uh, talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk. And one of the things I want to talk about is this idea is that when you really tap into your gift, it's a deep value that goes beyond that surface level veneer. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is like when someone hires me for illustration, uh, I want it to be, I want them to be able to extract like quadruple the value they pay me because then it's worth paying me. I'm not hiding behind this idea of what good illustration is. When you hire me, I want to provide value that can help you make money and make your business successful because I'm providing a real gift. And that's something that I wanna be able to stand behind day after day. And so if you feel like uh, you maybe look the part, but you're not walking the walk, or you're not really sure what the value of what you do, do is, or you don't feel like you've connected to that deeper level of gift, stay tuned. This is the episode for you. So we're gonna talk about uh, the journey that you're gonna go on, um, where to start, what you're looking for, and then maybe just uh, some tips and tricks to optimize what you're doing now. Let's get started. Okay, so number one, the first thing you've got to do, the first part of the journey to find your gift or your superpower, whatever you want to call it, is to say yes to the call right now. Say yes to the journey of finding your superpower. The elixir is what they call it in a hero's journey. And realize that the thing that you're looking for as you're doing the actual creative work, you're making stuff, you're looking for your supernatural gift while you're on the journey that you're heading that way. Now, here's what I'm trying to say. I'm saying that you can't sit back and navel gaze and think about what work should I be doing? What's my superpower? You can't know unless you're out there actively making stuff. So how do you get started on work if you don't know what your gift is? You start with what you've got right now and you remain open to learning new things about your gift for your, the whole lifelong career. And so here's what I mean by that. I think that often most uh, big creative successes, the people that are, end up being the masters and, or what have you, start in a field, in an industry or a market or a niche in which they are not playing to their actual superpowers but they start with the information that they have at the time. And so when I first started my career, I started uh, focusing on illustration, right? And I, I was doing that because I knew that I liked to draw and I, I knew that I liked gig posters. 
And it's what I had at the time. I was not 100,000% sure that gig posters were going to be my gift, but I started doing the work anyway. And one of the things I want to encourage you with here is that the only way that you're going to make any progress is if you start making lots of stuff and taking risks. Saying yes to the call is going out of your comfort zone into the unknown, not knowing where it's going to take you, not knowing what the elixir is going to be, how to get there. You're not going to, you don't know what exactly your superpower is going to be. And one of the things that I see all the time when I'm working with creative people is they want to sit back and figure everything out before they start making work. They want to have this pristine, clean career, this amazing portfolio that they launch, send to a few people, and everyone just celebrates because it's so amazing. And you know what? I think that um, that the, the creative lottery winners really uh, set an unfair precedent because there are these handful of people in every industry that happen to be just crazy prodigies. They get their work out there. They find their superpower at age 18 and they create this portfolio of immaculate work that's perfection. And they create this unrealistic uh, bar that none of us can live up to. But you know, 99% of legitimate masters in the creative world have to go through really, really messy seasons and have to go through working at in work that is not actually connected to their true gift. But the reason they still make progress is because they, they, it's because they don't sit back and wait for the elixir to come to them at their home. You have to leave the home. You have to make the journey. You have to work it out in the work. So the first thing you got to do is say, what do I, what are the just vague suspicions that I think might have something to do with my gift? and then act on them. Actively make stuff. Get the feet on the ground. That is the first step. Even if you're sure that it's not your superpower, you need to start making and taking action and actually make stuff. So step two is find the elixir. And there's actually, that might sound obvious. The elixir is your creative superpower, but it's not that obvious. And I think a lot of people miss it because there are certain uh, postures that you have to have as you go along your journey so that you don't miss the elixir when it presents itself. And uh, in, that's what I want to talk about in this step. And if you think about the first step as Neo in the Matrix, if you're not familiar, Neo in the Matrix, he has all this uh, martial arts downloaded into his brain. Okay, so these raw fighting skills. That's the first step. The first step is saying, what things can I do? I can draw pictures. I can, we- I can design websites. I can blah, blah, blah. Whatever it is. It's the, it's the thing that you know you can do. You might not be incredibly gifted and it's just this hyper special superpower elixir thing that's just radiating from uh, your inner core, but you know that you can do it. You know that people that need, need it and you suspect that it might have something to do with your ultimate creative gift. And so the first part of that is like Neo getting downloaded these martial arts fighting techniques into his brain. And you know, that means that he can hang with the bad guys. So he can fight them. He still loses. He's still not tapping into the true uh, essence, the the reason he's the chosen one. Uh, But he's, he's got the skills. He's making stuff work. That's step one. Step two is... You're looking for the thing that transitions you from just another one of the martial artists to the chosen one. The moment in the matrix, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, I think everybody has. Um, At the end, when Neo is about to fight 
the agents and he sees the matrix as it really is for the first time. He sees all the code in real time and he kicks the agent's butts with one arm tied behind his back. That's the thing that you're looking for. You're looking for an ease, a flow, a natural state. And the only way that you're gonna find it is if you're looking for it. And I think one of, this is the main thing that I wanna say on step two. So if you don't get anything else, listen to this. If you are active enough to go on step one in the journey, to take what you know and go work it out in the creative work, sometimes in order to get serious about that work, you get so entrenched in that natural, in, in your natural strengths, in your natural path, that when the supernatural comes along, the thing that's really super special about you, it's so different than what you expected that you completely miss it. Sometimes you're this designer and in order to really, you know, you're, you think you have natural uh, strength and design, so you go to school for that and then you get a job in that. And maybe for 10 years, you know, from the age 20 to 30, you spend your time as a designer. And in that time, you get so wrapped up in it, you make design such a part of your identity that by the time the, the opportunity arises to shine your true uh, super creative power, your elixir, by the time it presents itself, you completely ignore it because you're a designer. You can't possibly be an illustrator. You're an illustrator. You can't possibly be a fine artist or in my case, the way that it ended up kind of presenting itself, the way that um, things changed for me is that public speaking kind of presented itself in a different way. And it was a totally different thing. It wasn't a part of my plan. And initially, I didn't know what to do with it. But I think this happens all the time. And so one of the things that's incredibly important is to realize that if you feel like uh, you're not sure you've had that moment where you see the code in the matrix because I think you know when you've done it, when you've really tapped into that zone that you need to keep working, keep being motivated, keep digging into the stuff that you're doing in your natural strengths, but always keep a watchful eye on the horizon for that moment when something unexpected, that ease happens. And if, and if doing the step one natural gifts part feels like rolling a boulder up a hill. You're looking for the moment where you hit that inflection point and it's now rolling down the hill with ease and, and power and strength. And I've talked to so many people in their creative careers that have had this exact same pattern. I really truly believe it. And so if you're in the time where you're rolling up this boulder up the hill and you just feel so exhausted and so tired and you're just not even sure that you even have any supernatural, super creative powers, please just trust me. It's so necessary to keep pushing and keep working it out in the work to find that next season of supernatural ease in finding what it is you do that is truly unique. Okay, so the first part of the journey is get started. You've gotta make stuff happen. You can't just sit back and wait for this glorious elixir to show up on your doorstop, doorstep and knock on the door at your home. You've gotta go out there on the search and make creative work before you know what your gift really truly is. Uh, and it's kind of awkward. That phase is tough because you're like, oh, I'm making all this stuff. I have to be really invested in it or it's not going to be good, but I'm not really sure it's cut out for me. And I understand how that's a hard part of the season. Then step two is about remaining open, even as you've dug in and you've got persistent on this thing, continuing to remain open to the fact that at any time, at any day, one of these projects could open up a new part of your gift that you never saw before and being open to pivot and incorporate that into what you do. Now, the third part of this journey 
is incredibly important. And when you get to the point where you find the elixir, there's something really important that you gotta do. You can't find the elixir, drink it all yourself and have a good time. Uh, that's not what the elixir is all about. The elixir is about taking it back home. And here's what I mean by that. What I mean is a lot of people, when they find the elixir, when they find that supernatural ease, when they find some skill that they can do, some passion that they're super interested in, they wanna drop everything they've got and sell ever, all their possessions and be all about that thing. You know, when I discovered public speaking or talking as a medium as another part of something I could do and it felt like, man, this just feels so right, I'm tempted because I, it's so exciting to drop illustration. You know, when I first started heading down this road before creative uh, pep talk even started, the temptation was to be like, I'm gonna be a public speaker. I'm gonna quit doing illustration because illustration's like been this long, hard battle and this thing feels like it's just rolling down the hill. The temptation is to stop with your natural gifts and put all of your eggs in the basket of your supernatural gifts. And that makes sense. But think about it like this, Spider-Man. Think about it like that, Spider-Man. Uh, what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man isn't his natural gifts as a human or his supernatural gift as a spider guy. Um, it's not either or. It is a combination of those things because at least in the original story, uh, your Spider-Man is he gets bit by this spider and he gets these qualities that a spider has, the super strength, this ability to stick to walls, and it's his science background that allows him to create this suit and this web slinging stuff. Uh, like he doesn't have the power to sling web except for the ones that he creates from being a scientist. And it's, and it's actually both of those things that make him Spider-Man. And this is what I think is true, is that uh, the, the pattern that I see in the people that really find their gift, the people that really seem to be right at the center of their path, what seems to happen is they spend a period of uh, two, three, five, ten years going down this path where they're just following their natural strengths, the things that they've always known they were kind of good at. You know, I always kind of knew that I was better at drawing than most people at my school. But even at my high school, I wasn't the best at drawing. And so there was always a sense that, man, what if I'm you know, I'm not sure this is like a supernatural thing. I have this, uh, a supernatural interest in this thing and I can give tons of time to it, which kind of speaks to some of the stuff we talked about last episode, but I'm not sure that this alone is going to unlock my creative destiny, so to speak. And it's like Peter Parker being a scientist. It's like learning science, being a smart dude, doing science experiments and being smart enough to create those kind of things. Um, now, when he gets bit by the spider and he gets that supernatural moment, he doesn't just become crawling on walls guy. He becomes uh, Spider-Man by combining that supernatural strength with his natural abilities. And for me personally, uh, I already had an illustration career. I'd worked really hard for seven years or so building a real legitimate illustration career before I ever did this podcast. But the, especially the first couple years were grueling. They were hard, tons of hustling, tons of figuring stuff out. And uh, it took me seven years to get into a really good place where I had really good clients and I was making a decent living. Uh, and by the time I started doing talks, I realized that this was something that was even more natural for me. And there was a part of me that thought, what if I just transitioned to doing, being a public speaker of some kind instead of doing illustration? You know, part of it is uh, all the illustration had um, the, the, the tinge of the early years of the struggle. And, uh, you know, and also because I'd already been doing it for seven years, there were elements of it that were um, old hat and I wanted to explore something new, right? Um, and so the temptation in that moment was to think, how do I just go from, how do I just 
stop everything I'm doing and give everything I, uh, everything I have to this public speaking thing. And I'm really glad that I didn't because I think that would be like Peter Parker never doing any more science and never incorporating his natural gifts into his supernatural gifts. And I see this all the time. The people that seem to really truly hit the inflection point of really getting at the sweet spot, the center of their gifts are the people that, uh, you know, I know I have a friend named Dan Hasler. He was uh, my boss at my first uh, part-time graphic design job. Um, and uh, he's a great graphic designer. Uh, he really is. And But I feel like things got it super interesting when he started making cider. And now that's his full-time focus. He makes this cider called the Moss Cider Project. But why do I think that this dude was able to go into the cider game and really make waves. It wasn't because he just was, you know, an awesome business person who had a good taste for cider and all that good jazz. It wasn't just what made him uh, amazing at making cider. It was the fact that he'd already had a career in design and he used that, he leveraged that to make the brand look amazing, to design it in such a way that it could grab people's attention and do what a great designer does. And so it was the combination of these things that created that inflection point. And uh, that is a pattern that I see over and over and over again. And so if you're at this place where you do feel like you're starting to taste the elixir, don't be so quick to throw off your natural strengths. If you can figure out ways of combining them in interesting ways, all of a sudden you don't go from just uh, a person in a field with your natural thing to a person in a field with a little bit of supernatural stuff. Now you have the opportunity of being the best in the world of this really specific thing. So in the book, The Dip by Seth Godin, he talks about how do you know how to keep going or how do you know when to quit? We talked a little bit about that kind of idea, um, although it's different principles that he talks about in his book, um, but it's a really good book. And one of the things he talks about in that book is this idea that the only thing worth being is the best, the number one. Nobody in their town wants to go to the second best pizza restaurant. They want to go to the best. You want to go to the place where it's amazing, where everybody talks about it, where it's like, this is the best. That's where you want to go, right? But the best at what? The best can be all kinds of things. The second best pizza in town that has the most room for a social gathering might be the best that you're looking for. So in the cider game, maybe the, maybe, I don't know, I've never tasted Dan's cider, but maybe it's the one that looks the best and is also uh, the best socially because there's a social component um, of what he does. Maybe that's what makes him the best well-designed social uh, entrepreneur cider maker in Manchester, England, right? But you have to be the best. And one of the only ways to be the best is to create your own niche, your own place where only you are competing. And one of the best ways to do that is to combine your natural gifts with your supernatural gifts as you go along in the journey. So I want you to imagine for a second an alternate reality Superman. Now, if you're a crazy comic nerd, please don't get mad at my limited knowledge of the Superman story, but I know a little bit, I know enough to get dangerous when cooking up my own fan fiction here on the podcast. So if I'm not mistaken, uh, Kal-El which is Clark Kent. That's his alien name, I think. <laughs> and uh, when he's on his home planet, Krypton, at, at that, in that planet, uh, there's kryptonite at the core of this planet that weakens all of the people to the point of all the citizens on Krypton uh, don't have any superpowers. They're kind of just like regular humans and uh, they just go about their business. And when they leave Krypton and they get away from that kryptonite, that's where all of this, uh, they're, they're less weak uh, and they get stronger and they have these superpowers and they become amazing, right? And uh, imagine an alternate reality 
where Krypton doesn't explode and it just keeps going and Superman, Clark Kent, stays on Krypton and just lives an average life like everybody else. He never says yes to the call and he never finds out that he's actually super human. And, uh, you know, when he, when Clark Kent would leave Krypton from that place, he wouldn't know that he had these superpowers until he got out of the atmosphere on the journey, already having said yes to the call, already believing that there might be a reason while he, why he was the chosen one. And uh, there's too many people that I see that just stay in the mundane, everybody, uh, you know, blending into the crowd with everybody else. And uh, just like Krypton at the center of that uh, cushy comfort zone, it's not so bad that it's just killing you and you're desperate and you got to get out there, but it's not so good that your life is soaring, but that weakness is just slowly but surely killing you and draining your super potential, just like kryptonite under the core of your planet. And so if you're in that zone, I want to encourage you to say yes to that call to go outside of your comfort zone and just believe for a second as you you have to believe in order to do the work you have to believe to say yes to the call even if you can't see what your superpower is yet start down the road of making creative work with what you do know knowing that if you're if you work at it those superpowers will arise and even if Clark Kent left the left uh, Krypton and he made it to earth what if his parents, his adopted farming parents, had homeschooled him, tried to keep him safe? You know, he was a farm boy, and all Superman ever becomes is a super good farmer. And that's, you know, no offense. I, <laughs> I say no offense on this podcast a lot. I, I don't want to offend people. I don't like offending people. I think everybody's perspective and story has validity. Uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> and I respect all different uh, walks of life and different callings. And maybe your calling is to be a super farmer. And I don't want to offend any farmers out there in the audience. Um, but, but that is not the full potential of Superman. And what if Superman's parents homeschooled him and he never had to, he never got pushed out of his comfort zone and he only was familiar with his natural strengths. He never found the elixir. He never found that super stuff by being pushed and prodded out there in the unknown. And so He's just, he's not faster than a speeding bullet, but he was faster than a cow on the farm and he could, he could toss 10 bales of hay over his shoulder. Like, yeah, great, but it's not saving the earth from imminent doom. It's not reaching his full potential. And so maybe you're out there on the road and you've dove into this particular field, maybe it's even a creative field, but it doesn't make your heart sing, so to speak. It doesn't move people on a deep level and it doesn't flow from the depths of your being. And I want to encourage you, keep at it, keep a watchful eye on the horizon for that thing that you do that is just happening with supernatural ease even if you're 10 years in, even if you're 15 years in, keep looking for it. And uh, I think that when you find that supernatural ability, that creativity that's just exploding from you, don't forget where you came from and get creative about how you combine these things to be the best thing of what you do in the world. Because when you 
are the only person on the planet that can do what you do, that's when you start really getting the amazing jobs. When the jobs are coming to you because they know you and they know they can't get what you do from anywhere else, that's when you're, you really have something rare. That's when you get to paid for being the unique version of you. That's when things really hit a new level and it's an amazing place to be. And so uh, here's my challenge for you today. I have an art challenge, some homework assignments for all you uh, overachievers out there that don't want to just listen to the show. You can use this hashtag super creative man. Uh, hashtag super creative man on Instagram. And here's the assignment. I want you to take your natural strength, the thing that you already know you're good at, the, you know, whether you're a musician, whether you're a, a painter, whatever it is, and I want you to try to infuse it with something else that you think that you might be uh, supernaturally gifted at, but you haven't tried out or you haven't tried combining with your natural talent. So for me, one of the way that this looks is I've been thinking that I'm kind of an amateur uh, philosopher and, uh, <laughs> and it sounds ridiculous. And actually, I want to encourage you that if you feel ridiculous about what you think might be your supernatural talent, you even feel embarrassed to think that it could be your supernatural talent, you're probably on the right road because uh, I think we have a, 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 an inclination to be self-conscious about our true selves and what we've really got going on. But anyway, uh, I've been reading a lot of philosophy. I like to read spiritual books. I like to, um, you know, I like to pontificate on these ideas. I don't get super hippy-dippy down that, that, uh, that road, but I like thinking about it in the context of you know, physics and the physical reality and the things that we can't see and uh, what it's like to live a good life and the big picture ideas. I love that stuff. I feel like that's my, my number one core nature is to think big picture and think in existential terms. And so lately I've been thinking, how can I combine that raw essence of who I am into my illustration work? And, uh, Lately, in terms of the philosophy stuff, um, I've been thinking about how <laughs> it's just so outrageous, but this idea that physicists say that we can only pick up on a small percentage of reality with our natural senses, uh, that, you know, with see, taste, touch, smell here, um, we're only picking up on three dimensions, but there's actually at least 11 dimensions in our physical reality that we're not picking up on. And uh, I've been exploring this idea that maybe um, spirituality throughout history was our attempt at trusting our intuition that there's more to life than what we can see. For instance, in lots of spiritual traditions, you have uh, gods and realities and um, heavens that exist beyond time. And physics tells us that our idea of time is trapped in three dimensions when really time is only a construct of our minds. And so there's a congruity. Listen to how crazy I'm getting. This is what I mean. This is how far I can go into this. But anyway, all that to say that that idea that spirituality is us trying to grapple with the true nature of reality I've thought about how can I turn that base nature, that base nature to think about these big, big picture topics, how can I turn that into an illustration project? This thing that is my natural gift, this natural thing. And when I start combining both of those things together, that's when it seems to get explosive. And so my challenge to you, my homework to you, without going on about any more pseudoscience weird stuff, uh, is try to take your base level natural gift and combine it with some of your possibly supernatural essence because the only real way to know if it is supernatural is to give it a whirl. Try to combine it with something that's just, and it could be something that you just do for your family. It could be the jokes that you tell your friends. It could be being a good listener. Whatever it is, try to find a creative bridge, which means something that doesn't exist, something that's not an obvious connection, and try to make a piece of creative work that combines those things and hashtag it 
super creative man, even if you're a woman, it's totally fine. Um, it's just a play on Superman. And uh, uh, not to be discriminatory, but um, hashtag it that and I'll come check it out. I want to see what you guys are working on and I want to help you take a step forward in finding your true gift. Okay, well, I hope that this episode can act as a framework that can help you make progress in the lifelong journey that is becoming your fullest potential in unwrapping your highest uh, calling and your gift and your creative superpower. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I super duper appreciate it. Stay tuned after the ending theme music for some uh, my interview with dumbquestions.co. Uh, had a blast doing that, and I hope you liked some of that bonus content so to speak um and uh don't forget about the homework if you're uh, so inclined big thanks to yoni wolf and the band y for the theme music i want to thank nate utesh and the band metavari for all the other tunes you can hear their stuff at soundcloud.com slash metavari thanks to alex sug you can find his stuff at alexsug.com. He is the new producer for the show, making this thing sound so squeaky clean. Uh, feeling uh, really super excited about that. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening to this crazy show. I hope that it just peps you out of your mind. And until next week's episode, just... Stay pepped up. All right, uh, Mr. Pizza, you ready to go? I'm ready to roll. I think we're going to bounce off each other a little bit, but uh, speaking of, yeah, uh, Papa John's, Domino's, or Pizza Hut? Man, you didn't know how seriously I was going to take this question. Oh, I, you know, I think I have to say Papa John's. Uh, I, I can put away some serious Papa John's and, you know, I like the pepperoncinis. I like the garlic butter, the whole, whole thing. Now I will say though, uh, if we're in the UK, uh, not only is their Papa John's better in the UK, but also Pizza Hut is infinitely better over there. It's like a sit down restaurant over there where you like sit down and it's a little fancier and you can get like goat cheese on your pizza uh, <laughs> and it's pretty good. So that's it's UK. I, I go with pizza. Hut. All right. Good sure. answer. We were honestly, this is one of those questions that we're like, this will make or break the interview. <laughs> if he's, if he says like little Caesars or something like crazy I don't discriminate <laughs> against pizzas, but you know, I don't even draw a line at little Caesars in the right time frame right and i try not to go there because it's too the it's too cheap for the pizza to money ratio it's not good for your health (laughs) there's also like the whole concept of like pizza buffets like sweet tomatoes and we were like that's a whole nother world i'm sure yeah that's a whole nother tier and you know i've I've spent my i've spent enough time at a pizza buffet i try not to do that anymore that's a bad situation for me I don't even feel like that's the same classification of food as like a even even like low grade pizza. I yeah. think pizza buffets are like another thing. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, right. Awesome. All right. Yeah. So the next question is: Would you rather work on a Windows PC from 2011, or work at a kiosk in the mall selling those emoji pillows? Hmm. That's. I would probably. It depends. Like <laughs> if it's uh, if it's like for one day. I definitely would choose selling emoji pillows. Uh, I imagine that would get so tedious and terrible that I can't imagine doing it for long. But I would definitely have to pick emoji pillows. I I hate, I'm not a snob about very much, but I really, <laughs> I'm going to ruin my chance of ever working with Windows. <laughs> I hate Windows. I Every time I use it, I'm like, I feel like I'm in a portal back to 95. 
Yeah, especially like, the old ones too. That's why we asked like 2011 because like the modern Windows, you can almost make the argument, okay, right. they're they're getting better. I haven't, but like I it, haven't given it a shot, so I can't speak to that. Yeah, maybe they are. I will better. give them some credit on like that new Surface one that's like all monitor and it's got that wheel. Like that, that already seems pretty kind of, you know, futuristic for I Microsoft. Think the so the coolest thing about that uh, Surface uh, is the commercial that they made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, when they I saw the commercial, the best I was like, "Apple people to make it, probably." Yeah, it's like, when I saw <laughs> that commercial. I thought that I that I guarantee that it is only like five percent as cool as they made it look on that. <laughs> there, there's no way. And who knows? I didn't try it, so I can't really say. But yeah. That would be a hell of a blue screen of death, though. Like when you have to like figure out how to tap yeah, that little yeah. talk or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Cool. Um, all right, next one. What was your favorite Nickelodeon show when you were a kid? Uh, I thought a lot about this question. This is really serious to me. And, uh, you know, I think, I think I have to say SpongeBob, even though it kind of came about when I was probably like 13. So I wasn't really <coughs> that young. But the first, like, two seasons of SpongeBob were formative to who I became as a person. So I I was obsessed, especially like the first season is just brilliant and weird, super bizarre. So yeah, SpongeBob, or maybe All That. That was the other option. Oh, I don't even know that one. All That. You know all that? I don't know. Well, it's that's like, like Saturday Night Live for kids. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. It had maybe Pete and Cal. Older. Maybe. I would go Pete and Pete. Pete and Pete. Pete was so weird. Pete if you watch it now. super weird, and I feel like maybe when it came out, it was a little above my head, like, at the time that it was on, because I was, I was probably, I remember seeing it when I was, like, probably five or six, and not really knowing any of the references, not, not understanding the social dynamic of these kids, so I remember just it, I think it was above my radar, but, yeah. So. Give it another go as an adult, and, and you'll see something in it, I promise you. <laughs> All right, this is a pretty straightforward one, but if, if, if you could be invisible for a day, what's the first thing you would do? So I, I am uncomfortable with how seriously I want to answer this question. Um, <laughs> because, I, you know, I could think of a bunch of weird things to do, but I think what I'd really want to do is go uh, watch my eight-year-old daughter at school and just see. I feel like there's something about, there's no, like I think when you're eight years old, you're in second grade, you're at school, that is you as you really are when you're around your friends. And I just, I just want to know what is she like in that, uh, in that arena because because uh, you just as a parent you never get to really fully see that so yeah that's it, my it's very funny you say that because that's, that's literally I was talking to my daughter this morning and I was saying she's three so I mean it's a whole different mm. game but I was like who do you hang out with at school yeah. and I get these sort of like weird answers because I don't think she knows really like what I'm trying to get at <laughs> but yeah like you really do like I'm so curious what this like like four hours a day is like what what's it filled with what is who's she talking person? about yeah yeah dude what that's... do they talk about the weather do they talk about yeah. like i don't i don't know it's not even you know it's not being a weird like helicopter dad thing it's not it's not really based in like i want to know what she talking about it's a, i just want to see who is this person when i'm not around as, yeah. as she really is you know yeah so that's my answer i like it that was a good it's answer great answer great answer all right. Uh, uh, what's your second favorite indie rock band of I, all time? I thought a hard about this one too, and I have to go with Broken Social Scene. I think mm. that oh. uh, if we're talking strict indie rock, I think it's got to be Broken Social Scene. Yeah. I, I guess we have to ask who would your first one be, just Probably out of curiosity. Modest Mouse. Uh, okay. They okay. were uh, super, super formative for me. Like I. I didn't get into art really until I discovered that band and they had uh, just a crazy back catalog of like, you know, probably a hundred, 150 uh, screen printed band posters like in uh, 2000 by the time it was like 2005. And so that whole back catalog is like completely responsible for me going into illustration and design. So, wow. Um, and That's I, cool. I've listened to, I know like 
almost every word to every album uh, that they have, and they have like ten albums, so I'm pretty deep into it. And on the other side of that, just (laughs) as an aside, is that uh, it was also in branding. I felt like, uh, especially around 2000, 2004, they had a really clear sense of their brand as a band. And it was just like really like all of the merch and all of the all the collateral around the band was just had a, a really clear voice and vision and I think I was really attracted to the idea of a brand on that level. Um, and so, yeah, Modest Mouse has to take the cake. But, yeah. Nice. I like it. Yeah. Cool. Um, this is probably a fun one for you. So if you got to illustrate a Garbage Pail Kid, what would the name of the character be? <laughs> Dude, okay. So uh, this is a curveball because even when I was a kid, I didn't like – gross things and I didn't like you know the kids that were like gross and like played too hard I always like uh, no thank you I'll stay over here you guys be weird over there you know don't I don't want to get messy I don't want to get my shoes dirty so like I remember uh was there a Garbage Pail Kids movie yes I think was there's it really? like a, yes. was it like a I live action movie I scared of it I was frightened by it. Yes. I was definitely intrigued, but also frightened. So I think if I made a character, it would have to be like, uh, like, like the anti-hero in that world where there's like uh, rainbows and happy faces and nice, clean things. <laughs> so I don't like know like, like neat name, Nick or something like yeah. that. You know? yeah. a, even when I was a kid, I remember it was kind of like a car crash where I couldn't look away from the cards in the movie, but I was just like... Yeah, they always had, like, runny noses and, like, you're right, though. There was something sort of gross about them. Yeah, totally. And I agree with you about those kids that play. Like, when I was growing up, like, I hated the kids who were like, let's wrestle. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. thank you. Don't touch me. Let's play nicely. Uh, There was always a kid who was like, hey, what's up? Boom. And you're like, no, don't punch. Yeah. So uh, I wasn't into that. that. They were always doing that wheelies. That's in jail on... right now, so if it makes you feel any better. <laughs> That's true, yeah. They were doing, like, you know, uh, wheelies and riding with no hands and just going off ramps and just, like, putting you in a headlock. It was like, I'm just going to draw. It's cool. I'm going to be over there in the corner drawing. I'll draw the bike. Look at that yeah. sweet <laughs> jump that I drew. That's what yeah. I would do, yeah. I was a baby, but it's funny. This is you. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, so in your professional opinion, what's the worst name for a color? What's the worst? <laughs> Do you mean like an, an accepted name that we call like, Yes. Yeah, like a known name. Oh, man, that is a stumper. Let's see. I... Oh, man. Maybe we here will help you with this. We'll give you ours. Uh, yeah. So I... I have a tough time with chartreuse. I was going to say that. Yeah. That was really? the one that came to mind is that that just doesn't seem like a word to me. No, Fuchsia, totally like <laughs> I You know, I, I also think I don't like uh, uh, turquoise because nobody can seem to agree on what that means. If I say turquoise, I have a particular thing in my mind. Other people say, like, that's not turquoise. I'm like, well, what is turquoise? What level of green and blue are we talking about? And I don't ever feel like we can come to agreement. So, yeah. All right. So mine is beige. I don't like beige either. It sounds (laughs) gross. It just color fits the name. But it's like beige. Beige. It's kind of like an onomatopoeia. Yes. Yeah. Of a color. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe we do like beige. We just for different. Just for that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's real beige. That'd be a great way to describe someone. They're kind of beige. I don't know. <laughs> Rick, Rick's okay. He's a little beige, but uh, yeah. <laughs> no offense, Rick. Sorry, Rick. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, what's more gratifying to you, a, a a sharp pencil or a cold drink on a hot day? Uh, a sharp pencil. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I. You know. I. 
I don't drink as much as I should. I'm not properly hydrated. I'm usually drinking coffee. I even drink hot coffee on hot days because mm. I just like it so much. I like a cold beer, but uh, a cold drink, it's always just like, I better drink or I'm going to have to go to the hospital. So <laughs> dehydrated. Uh, you go to pee and like nothing comes out. Yeah, you're like, oh. wait a second. I haven't drank in three weeks. Uh, um, just out of curiosity, I guess this is sort of a, from the illustrator side of me. What do you use to sharpen a pencil? Like, like do you guys electric, are you manual or are you? It's manual. Yeah. It gets a little messy, but I, you know, I like to be able to usually when I'm, uh, doodling with the pencil, it will be on the go. So I have a little, one of those, uh, metal, like, you know, I always think of those, they feel like heavy metal, uh, pencil sharpeners. And I always think if I was on the movie inception, that that would be my totem, you know, oh, yeah, the cool. thing that, like, cause it's like a, the right weight. It's, I, I always like the, uh, heavy metal, uh, pencil sharpeners. Yeah. This would be another follow up question. Do you ever replace the little blade in them? Never. Do you ever, no. I can't. Yeah, even, like, I'll lose them. I don't. Like, I have to buy I like one. Who did that? Who got the little screwdriver out and like undid <laughs> it and like put the new blade in? I'm sure there are some weird like Swiss designers that have like you know had the same one and have like a stash of blades in the closet <laughs> and do it on you know like the the third of every month they replace the blade. Yeah, I'm sure there are those folks. I just have to buy one every like two weeks because I didn't know I can never find him. So beige Rick, beige Rick, he does. He replaces. He's got a whole closet full of those. (laughs) (laughs) Good callback to beige Rick. (laughs) (laughs) Stop thinking about beige Rick. I'm gonna be looking for that guy. New character, beige Rick, and he's always shrugging. I don't know why. He's always just like, uh, "I'm beige Rick." Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Do you are you the type of person? Do you try clothes on in dressing rooms? Most of the time, if I can get away with throwing the shirt over my overshirt, I'm gonna do that. I, I don't want to mess around too much, and I hate the interaction between the guy who guards the dressing rooms and counts the things that you're, I hate that. That whole thing is so awkward. It's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I hate the follow-up when you're in there and they're like, how's that working out for is you? It, and you're is like, it oh. okay? You know, have you put pants on before? I can help you. You're like, I haven't even tried putting the pants on. I'm still checking my instant messenger right now. Like, sorry, I'll be back. I just need some alone time. I've got three (laughs) children. This is the only solace I get. Please. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even have clothes in here. Stop. Uh, That's great. That would be a great thing to go up and be like, I'm just going to go in there. And they're like, well, what are you trying on? Uh, I just need some alone time. (laughs) I'm just going to go in. (laughs) Um, all right, so the, I think this is our last one. Uh, when was the last time you kissed someone on the hand? Probably today because uh, I, my two-year-old, I kiss her like a thousand times a day. She's uh, very kissable, extremely cute. I, I've definitely kissed her hand in the past month for sure. Uh, that's awesome. And that's probably the accurate answer. I probably had to say, I probably had to apologize to my wife at some point in the past two weeks and probably kissed her on the hand as a, please, please forgive me, something like that, but yeah. We we were out last night and there was there was a baby out with us and we were like we love like the chubby feet and chubby hands on kids like I feel like there's something so endearing about how like thick and kind of meaty they are. It makes you want you know there's a thing in your brain. I, I can't remember where I heard this, maybe like Radio Lab or something, where they talk about how um, your brain has this thing where it can have acute overload, where it doesn't, it wants to respond to the cuteness. And the way that it computes that is to squeeze or you want to bite them. Like, <laughs> and if you really feel like something's cute, you're like, oh. I just want to like, there's something about, cause you don't, there's no other response, but your brain's like, you have to respond to this. You have to respond to this feeling. Um, and yeah, squeezing and biting. So like, I definitely feel like, uh, sometimes my kids are so cute. You're just like, I just want to chew on your cheek. <laughs> I'm so glad that's normal. It is normal. Like, I feel the same way. Like, what I, I would do? love to trace. Yeah. The evolution of how that came to be. There's probably some primal reason for there it. There is, yeah. There, I mean, well, there is, a, especially 
the um, the cute factor is about wanting to take like having affection for your kid, so you'll take care of it. So like, and actually, uh, there's all kinds of weird like things like large eyes are things that we consider cute because those are like babies and cat- kittens and you know, and that's why a lot of like kids' toys will have uh, giant eyes because we perceive that as like cute. Mm. Um, but yeah, so is my video frozen? Yeah, it is. <laughs> right. Can you still hear me though? Yes. Yeah, we can. <laughs> You're, you're frozen at a good point, though. You're, you don't, you're not like mid blink or anything. You're, it's, you're good. It's a good screenshot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we should take a screenshot of that. Uh, uh, well, Andy, I mean, that's all the questions we have. Do you have any questions for us? I don't think so. What was your favorite Nickelodeon show? Oh, uh, man. I have to go, like, okay. uh, salute your shorts. Salute your shorts. Wow. <laughs> what about, uh, what was the. Uh, the donkey lips. one, yeah, they're donkey lips. But what was the uh, kiss? what was the show? Hey, dude, what about that? Yeah. That was in that time too. Yeah, <laughs> you guys go way deep into Nickelodeon. I, I have to go with the surface. Like, uh, you can't do that on television I, for whatever yeah, yeah. reason. That's the one that that just stuck with me the whole time. I was pretty deep into Nickelodeon as a kid. That was probably my go-to. I was way more Nickelodeon than like even Saturday morning cartoons or. Uh, Disney Channel, Nickelodeon was the thing. So, yeah. All right. Thanks, dudes. 